show me your friends, and I'll tell you who you are. You ever heard that? It's one of those truisms in life, right? In other words, you are going to be like the company that you keep. You are your closest companions. We look at your circle of friends, that would begin to tell someone else a lot of things about you. Because of the virtues and vices that those closest to you tend to have, those things will inevitably end up rubbing off on you for better or for worse. Isn't that why our parents warned us as kids, right? Choose your friends wisely. Be careful who you're hanging out with. Or don't hang out with that kid. They're a bad influence. I don't want you to see you around them. Anyone ever kind of get that counsel from parents? Anyone give that counsel as parents, right? We all do that, right? We want our our children to choose wisely, choose their friends wisely because we know they will have great influence in their lives. Now, Solomon and the sages of Proverbs implore us to be wise in selecting those whom we would call our closest companions. They understood the powerful influence that friends have on us. And I know we experience that day in and day out. Wise friends will keep us on the path of wisdom. Proverbs is all about staying on the way of wisdom, the path of wisdom that is the way of life. Wisdom is where we find God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But if we have foolish friends, they're going to take us down another path. They're going to take us down the path of folly, which leads to death and to destruction. There are friends that we have that lift us up. There are friends that we have that kind of pull us down and drag us down. There are friends who enrich us in our life. And there are those who we call friends who impoverish us in many ways. Now, Proverbs is going to give us a lot of instruction on how to navigate the the challenges and the difficulties of friendships. Because friendships are important. Having friends is really important. Having one or two true friends is a great treasure that we should all aspire to have. The reality is we all crave the human warmth of friendships because we were created relational beings. We have a God who is a relational God, and we are made after his image and his likeness. So friendship is is in the DNA, and having relationships is in the DNA of those whom God made in his image. And these friendships are an integral part of our lives. I mean, it starts in our childhood. Man, you, you look at little kids. What do they do? They, they gravitate to other little children, and they, they seek to form bonds with them, a friendship, right? That extends into, you know, our elementary school age and adolescence and teenage years, all the way on into adulthood. We want friends. We want to, to bind and knit together with other people that we can share life with, people who know us and, and we know them. It's in the fabric of how we have been fashioned. And it is God who put that desire in our hearts. You know, it's not good for man to be alone. And we know that was in relation to Adam and Eve and marriage, but really it extends beyond that. It's not good for anyone to be alone, right? We all need people in our life. Every single one of us here needs to have friends and be in relationship with others. Now, scripture gives us a much more beautiful and deeper picture of what friendship is and relationship is, and it's best illustrated by our Creator. In fact, we see in Genesis at the beginning of of Scripture, we see God fashioning man, and He places him in the garden, and one thing we see about God is that He's there with Adam in the garden. He is walking, the Scripture tells us, in the cool of the day, which intimates to us that there was something deep in the relationship with God where He and Adam and Eve would would be face-to-face and would commune and have fellowship, deep intimacy that they experienced. And sadly, the fall marred and distorted that beautiful picture of deep intimacy and the purpose of friendship. Friendships have become hard. Just like everything in this world is broken and cursed when it comes to our friendships and relationships with others, it's all tainted By sin, it's all tainted by the curse. It's all tainted by the brokenness that is in this world because of sin. But we begin to see something beautiful as God begins to interact with humanity uh, through the patriarchs. Through these great stories we read in the Bible, especially of Abraham. 
And it's interesting how, how Abraham is called a friend of God. You see that in Isaiah. James himself in, in his epistle references that. He's a friend of God. Abraham was known to be a friend of God. And then we come to Moses. There was a, a deep intimacy of relationship there. God revealed himself to Moses in a way that he had not revealed himself to anyone else. And in Exodus 33, 11, we're told that God met with, with Moses face to face as a man communes and fellowships with a friend. That was the relationship God had with Moses. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine having such a relationship where God's your friend? He calls you his friend. He treats you like a friend. But here's the good news for us. That is ours in Christ Jesus right now. We have that kind of friendship with God. We may not realize it, but if we're in Christ Jesus, that's what we have. God calls us friend if we have Jesus Christ as our Savior. So we're there in the 15th chapter of John. This is Jesus with his disciples. Uh, this was right up to the moment that, that leads to his betrayal and his crucifixion and death. But here he is with his disciples. He's gathered to again and he's continuing to instruct them. And he gives them a new commandment here. John 15 verses 12 through 17. Hear the words of the living God. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That someone laid down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. These are the words of the Lord. What other friendship could be as important as having a relationship with Jesus Christ? Being called his friend. And if that's the case that we are his friends. Because he laid his life down for us in sacrificial love. Then how should Christ's example of friendship guide all of our relationships? If Jesus calls us friends. How much should that influence who our friends are? How much should it influence the kind of friends that we are to be to others? Jesus here tells his disciples that the supreme demonstration of love is to lay down your life for your friends. It's a sacrificial love. Isn't that what he did for us? It's exactly what he did for us, right? And if you're in Christ, you're his friend. And that's good news. And if you are in Christ, then my appeal to you today is to evaluate friendship through the lens of what being his friend means for your relationship with others. That's what I want you to, 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 to see what we're beginning to look at in Proverbs. What we have in Proverbs has been fully complete and fulfilled and perfected in the person and work of Christ Jesus. So as we walk through this today, I want you to see how those very characteristics and qualities that Proverbs enumerates for us that describe this is what a good friend looks like, a true friend, a wise friend, that's exactly what we have. In Jesus Christ. Alright, so let's begin by just a, a quick definition of what a friend is. What is a friend? Well, that Hebrew noun for friend that we translate as friend refers to a person that we know well and who knows us well. And friends are people that you regard with affection and trust. So it's just someone you're close to, but not just close to, in proximity, there's actually an emotional attachment with that person, there is affection that is expressed between, between friends. There are shared interests, things in common. People are friends we listen to. How many of you value highly the opinions of your friends and the advice your friends give? You, you should. If they're good friends and close friends, I would hope you would value that, right? Well, in wisdom literature, a friend is to be valued 
highly. Now, Facebook has forever ruined the meaning of friends, right? Because friends on Facebook is just because they like your posts. They comment on your posts. They like your, your picture of your kids or your dog or whatever, right? It's not a friend, right? It's not what friends are, right? Because we don't really value that highly. All of us, you have people that are your friends on Facebook. You don't even know who they are. Never seen them before. You never interacted with them a day in your life. But here, when we look at friend in Scripture, this is someone you did know and someone who knew you. Someone you did life with, someone you shared interests with, had things in common whom you loved and have emotional attachments to. So they are to be valued highly. So how do we go about finding such friends? How do we go about having a relationship with people that we would classify our relationship as a friendship of wisdom? Well, it's no surprise that Solomon and the sages would instruct us to select friends who walk in the way of wisdom. They would say... Find wise friends, right? Not wise guys. Wise friends, right? People who have wisdom. Proverbs thirteen twenty: Whoever walks with the wise becomes what? But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Having wise friends is important for our growth in wisdom. It's important for us to grow in knowledge and insight. But if you choose friends poorly... If your circle of friends are not wise but are foolish, the sages say we will suffer harm. We'll get into trouble. It's a detriment to have foolish friends that you are surrounded with in life. We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if we're to seek wise friends, it starts there. It's seeking people who fear the Lord and who value and treasure wisdom as you and I should value and treasure wisdom. In Proverbs 7, 4, say to wisdom, this is what Solomon writes to his son, say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. We, being a people of wisdom, because we follow Christ who is the sum of all wisdom, should seek wisdom and value it and have an intimate relationship with wisdom, so much so that we want the closest people in our life to share that same thing. They should value wisdom and have an intimate relationship relationship with wisdom themselves and love wisdom as much as we do this is what the psalmist wrote in psalm 119 63 i am a companion of all who fear you of those who keep your precepts scripture exhorts us to have these kinds of friends these are the kinds of friends we should be seeking after and wanting to be our closest companions So if it's true then that our closest companions should be wise and if it's true that those who are closest to us really becomes a reflection of who we are, then our closest companions must be those who we want to be, people who fear the Lord and keep his commandments. But not only should you want to have wise friends, brothers and sisters, you should seek to be a wise friend. It's kind of hard to have wise friends when you're not wise. Because wise people aren't going to be seeking foolish friends. Right? So we should want and desire to have wise friendships in our life. But we should also seek to be wise friends to others. Amen? Alright. Well, as we go through Proverbs and what it teaches around this theme. Uh, again, evaluate it you know, through the lens that I talked about. Of Christ as our friend. Right? Evaluate the kind of wise friends that we should seek after and the kind of wise friends we should be. This is not an exhaustive teaching. We cannot possibly say everything there is to say about friendships in one message. All right? But Proverbs says a lot, and we're going to go through a lot of this. Not going to spend a lot of time going through each particular proverb. Some of them are self-explanatory. But I just want you to see how these themes emerge throughout Proverbs and all that wisdom literature has to say about this. And this isn't even everything okay now if you want to know how to sabotage a relationship and ruin a relationship and a friendship just do the opposite of what we look at all right pretty self-explanatory all right so let's begin to look at the qualities of a wise friend and what proverbs solomon the sages have to, sages have to say regarding friendship the first quality is this that a wise friend sticks with you no matter what now, some of these Proverbs are familiar to some of you, and you'll see them as we go through. But, but let's explore these a little further. A wise friend sticks with you no matter what. Proverbs 17.7. A friend 
loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. This is really a really profound one here. How many of you chose your siblings? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> we didn't choose our siblings, and our siblings didn't choose us. Because surely if they could have a choice, they probably wouldn't, right? You're stuck with the people you're born into a family with, right? And they're stuck with you. And family members have obligations to one another. Why? Because they're blood, right? They're blood. We've got to take care of one another. We're, we're related. But a friend is different. A friend chooses you. And you choose a friend. A friend is chosen family. That's what a friend is. That's the family you actually choose. And the, and the sage says a friend loves at all times. So all times is when? All times. Good times. Bad times. Rough times. Times of celebration and joy. Times of deep depression and sorrow and tragedy and chaos and catastrophe. A friend loves at all times. At your best and at your worst. And they're a friend, so they don't have to stick with you in the bad times. But they choose to. They do stick around. They can be counted on through thick and thin. They're reliable. These are not fair-weather friends that it's only when you're fun and everything's good and, and they can get something from you that they're there, but when you can't do that from them, then they, they bolt. This kind of friend that's in view here. Is, is something so valuable, something so beautiful. that It's a true friend. A true friend knows everything about you, yet they still stick around. Isn't that awesome? You have friends that know the darkest things about you, perhaps, and they're still there. That might make them fools. I don't know. No. <laughs> right, but that, that's a true friend. They know so much about you, yet they choose to still uh, be with you. They don't walk away when you blow it. When the going gets tough, this is where you find them, right by your side. Close companions. And that's the mark of a true, wise friend. They get it. They get the value and importance of relationships. They treasure it so much and so highly, and they stick with you through thick and thin. Along with that, look at Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's so beautiful, isn't it? We can have a lot of people in our life. And some of us do. We have a lot of people in our life. Uh, there, there's companions, there's acquaintances, there's associates, right? Co-workers, people, people we play sports with, maybe classmates, lots of people in our life. And, and if, if we were asked, we might say, yeah, there are friends. We see them often. We are around them uh, a lot, but a lot of times, those are kind of like Facebook friends. We don't really know them. They really don't know us. There's varying degrees of people that we associate with in our life. But Solomon is trying to highlight the intimacy of, of a deeper kind of relationship, a true friendship. And he's saying here that there are friends that are so close that their relationship is even far greater than the relationship between biological brothers. If you have someone like that in your life, you are blessed. What a gift that is. So a wise friend sticks with you no matter what. Another quality, a wise friend is faithful. And this is so important. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. There's a lot of people who claim that they're faithful people, loyal people trustworthy people, and we believe them until they're not. So we have people in our life who proclaim that to us, have told that to us, and then all of a sudden they've betrayed us. They hurt us. They lost our trust, right? And, and he's talking here about something profound. A faithful man who can find, because that is the highest value. It's not, talk is cheap, right? We can say something all we want, but it's actually what we do, our actions, that ends up proving if we are people of fidelity and trustworthiness. And faithfulness is an indispensable quality of friendship, of true friendship. Right? A faithful person, when you're with someone like that, you trust them. And that trust only grows as they prove themselves faithful 
over time. And it's very difficult for a friendship to survive a breach of trust. We've all experienced that in our life. People that we have been close to and we've lost the trust in them because they haven't proved loyal. They haven't proved faithful. How difficult it it is to mend that relationship, to repair and restore that relationship. And I'm sure in this room, everyone would have a story in regards to that. So a wise friend is faithful. Another quality, a wise friend is brutally honest. Get Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Friends lovingly confront their friends. Especially when they see their friend walking in sin. There's something about their behavior that is off. When they're about to make a bad decision, a true friend, a wise friend, intervenes, confronts, and they do it with humility. They do it with grace. They do it with love and kindness to soften the blow of confronting something sinful in their life, but they do it nonetheless. And this is a hard thing. This doesn't come easy in a relationship at all. Many of us have friends that we know, man, these these friends are kind of boneheaded, but we don't say anything about it. They're doing foolish things. They're doing sinful things. And for fear of losing the friendship, for fear of that relationship, we don't say anything. We stay quiet and we let them go about this this particular path that they're on. And eventually they self-sabotage. A true wise friend doesn't do that. A wise friend brings necessary correction for the good of their friend and the good of the relationship. And if we want to be wise friends and we want to have wise friends in our life, we cannot afraid to be afraid to risk having these kind of hard conversations and confrontations with those we call friends. Scripture commands it. In Ephesians, and Paul tells the church at Ephesus to do what? Speak the truth in what? Love. But you to speak the truth nonetheless. We have to be brutally honest. Look here, a false friend, according to this proverb, is like an enemy. Their kisses are profuse. What does that mean? They continue, they flatter you. They tell you what you want to hear. If you have a friend that only wants to tell you what you want to hear, they're not a wise friend. That's not even a good friend. Because okay? you're thinking everything's great until, right? Until something happens and that friendship blows apart, right? These false friends are not brutally honest or truthful with you. They overly flatter. They're always affirming you. They kiss you all day long, basically. You don't want those kind of friends in your life. Because a false friend won't stop you from going over the cliff. But a wise friend will. A true friend wounds you in love. And it hurts. Have you ever been rebuked by a close friend? But you know they love you and they came at it with the, in the right spirit, the right way, with the right heart and the right attitude. It hurts, but those are faithful wounds. We, we should want that from a close friend. We should do that if we are close friends with others and wise friends. We need to learn to receive the corrective criticism of friends. And we should not be afraid of having these kind of hard conversations and confrontations with our friends. If we want wise friends and we want to be a wise friend then this is a proverb we need to live by. Be brutally honest. Brutally honest. We've risked that hard conversation, but guess what? On the other side of that, the the relationship is deepened and strengthened. But if you don't do that, conversation is, is, is some, is, the relationship is distorted. It's, It's not genuine. There's not an authenticity of friendship there. All right, let's move on here. A wise friend also doesn't keep bringing up an offense. Proverbs 79, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. This is a biggie in relationships. Because it's one of the reasons why people say, I don't really don't want close friends. They always talk about me or they've talked about me or they're always bringing things up about me. But here, this is... is The application here, we see that of something that 1 Peter 4, 8 tells us, that love covers a multitude of sins. A friend always thinks the best, believes the best, and overlooks the offense of their friend. 
What does that mean? Does that mean they just excuse away their sin and their offense? No, absolutely not. They deal with it. But what they don't do is keep bringing that up, the past mistakes or offenses and screw-ups to their friend and throwing that in their face all the time. They don't do, a friend doesn't do that. They don't keep reminding you of how you sinned against them. They don't dredge up your past transgressions. You ever had a friend like that in your life who's just always bringing up how you screwed up somewhere in life? Or how you sinned against them at some point in the past. You told them a lie or something. And it's like they can't get past that. And when there's tension in the relationship, they bring that up. A lot of marriages are built on that. That's not a good thing, right? It's not good in marriage. It's not good in friendships and relationships, right? That's not a wise friend. Love is not resentful. 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us that love does not keep a record of wrongs. I cannot say I love you, but I've got a little note list going on here. Every time you've messed up, every time you've failed me, every time you've screwed up, every time you've sinned against someone else, right? I got my list here, so when I need to, I'm going to throw that back at you to show you why I'm spiritually or morally superior than you are. This is not friendship. This is not wisdom in relationships. If you keep bringing up the faults of others and their offenses, you will end up separating with a close friend. That may have happened to you. I know I have lost friends because they like to bring up. and They're always negative and they like to just remind you of why you are inferior to them. Those are not true friends. If you repeat the offense to someone else in gossip, you're not going to keep a close friend. Discretion. Keeping your mouth shut. Covering the offense in love. Believing the best about your friend. How critical is that to have good and healthy relationships in life? Again, this isn't just, just, to, this isn't just to put a band-aid on a real major thing going on in their life. No, a true friend's going to help them through that. But what you don't do is just, right? Grace, doesn't, grace isn't about rem, being reminded continually of our sin, is it? If we say our sins are covered by Christ, do you think he's bringing those back up in our face all the time? No. Well, we shouldn't be doing that to others as well. A wise friend doesn't keep bringing up an offense. All right, moving on. A wise friend gives wise counsel. Remember, we said right, a friend is someone whose opinion you value, someone who you listen to, someone you go to for advice. Well, we want wise friends who give wise counsel. Proverbs 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. It's a beautiful picture here. When you think of oil and perfume in those ancient times, these were two very expensive luxury items. These were not things that the ordinary person had in abundance in their time. What the sage is doing here is comparing having these expensive items and how they make someone happy Right? It makes their heart glad to a friend whose heartfelt counsel is sweet and treasured by the person receiving it. Right? The counsel they receive from a friend who, who brings this kind of heartfelt advice is sweet to them. It's like a good smelling perfume. Right? That's the effect of the advice and counsel given to us by a wise friend. And if you've been on the receiving end of it, you know what that is. You ever had to put a lotion on, on an itchy patch of skin and you put that lotion on? It's like, oh, that feels good. When you have a massive sunburn, right? Putting some aloe on there, it's like refreshing and cooling. That's what's in view here. When you receive that heartfelt advice, why? Because it comes from the depth of a heart that loves you and cares about you and wants the best for you. And they bring that counsel to you and you receive it and it is refreshing and sweet to your soul. Wise friends give wise counsel. Not only should we receive it from wise friends, we should be wise friends and give it to others uh, as well. Moving on. A wise friend preserves his closest relationships. A wise friend preserves his closest relationships. Proverbs 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. This is kind of a cumbersome wisdom saying, but, but look where it starts. Do not forsake your friend. Right? 
There's a way we can forsake our friends. A, by not, by not staying in close proximity or even intimacy with them, but also maybe burning bridges with a friend, you know, that maybe we've had for a long time. But here he's saying, don't forsake your friend. A wise friend doesn't burn any bridges. And the implication of this Proverbs has to do with, with actually going to someone in the time of need. Your friend or your father's friend, the ones who are closer to you, or a brother, more so than a brother who may be far away. Why? They're close. They're friends you can count on. They're there in your time of need. So when relationships are maintained, you get help from your immediate circle of friends or even from one's family's friends. It may be someone you, your, your parents know or someone in your extended circle of family, they're friends, right? If you preserve and maintain those relationships and they're healthy relationships, you have a pool of people you can go to and reach out, but you can't forsake those relationships. So when you have a need and you need help, there's people to go to. But how many people burn bridges, don't preserve relationships, don't preserve long-term relationships, and then when they need help, it's like, <laughs> i got no one. And maybe the brother is distant. Relationships need to be maintained. I'll give you an example of something very recent in my own life. Bets and I were reached out to via Facebook from people that we met 20-something years ago in another country, and had a big ask of us in a relationship that has not been maintained. These are people we have not talked to in 20 years, and they asked us for something big that we could not even begin to. Why? There's no relationship. The relationship wasn't preserved or maintained for us to go, yeah, there's such a closeness to the relationship, we are going to help. But they reached out, like, out of the blue, like, for something big. I can't even mention it here right now. But we were kind of blown away. It's like, how do you ask something like that when we haven't even talked in 20-something years? That's, that's, a, that's huge. We don't do that, right? Because we choose our friends, those trusted and faithful friends can be counted on when things get tough. So seek to preserve the health of your relationships. Don't let grass grow up under relationships, right? Keep them freshly mowed and trimmed and weeded, right? So when you do need help, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm here for you. You have friends like that in your life, and I have friends like that in my life. I know I could reach out to them, and they will help. But why? Because we've cultivated a friendship. That friendship is preserved and maintained in an ongoing fashion. So one of the ways we preserve relationship is you be available to your friends when they have a need. Right? You're keeping that. Be quick to forgive if there is an offense or a sin. Extend grace, right? So that relationships are in the right place when help is needed. So a wise friend preserves his closest relationships. Let's look at Proverbs 19.4. Here, a wise friend enriches. Now, this may not seem obvious to you at first, but I'll explain it. Proverbs 19.4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Everybody wants to be friends with a rich person. There's advantages there. Don't act so pious. You know it's true, right? They got the toys. They got the means. They got the resources. And if they're generous, you get blessed a lot by them, right? So a rich man usually doesn't lack for friends. I know they may not all be close friends, right? But the point is here, a rich man uh, has ample opportunities, right? Uh, but few want to associate with a poor person. Why? Not much benefits there. Not a whole lot you get from that. Now, this isn't in view to material wealth, okay? So we understand it to be in that context. Yeah, a rich man, lots of friends. A poor man, even those he calls his friend are going to desert him in a particular moment here. But let's substitute material wealth for something else. How about spiritual wealth? Moral wealth, emotional wealth, right? A spiritually wealthy person is going to have many new friends or morally or, or um, uh, emotionally healthy, right? Sticking with this theme of friendship here. People want to be around those who are going to lift them up. People want to be around those who are going to be positive. People want to be around those who when, when, when you're in their in their atmosphere, within their atmosphere, you feel elevated. 
You're not dragged down. You don't feel negativity. You don't feel beat down. And you and I know because we've been around people that are the opposite of that. They are spiritually poor. They're morally poor. They're emotionally poor. They impoverish us when we get into their gravitational pull. Nobody wants that. But if you're spiritually wealthy, morally wealthy, emotionally wealthy, people want to be around that. People want to feel valued around you. They want to feel like you add to their life, not subtract from them. Right? And that is super important. A person who enriches others will not have a shortage of people who will want to be their friend. So let's focus on being that. Having wise friends like that and being a wise friend that enriches others. A wise friend sharpens others. Very popular uh, proverb, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. It's the theme verse of every men's ministry on the planet. Right? <laughs> iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. But just because it says man, uh, don't think that doesn't mean women either, okay? One man sharpens another. Iron, in the ancient time here, was one of the hardest uh, materials, one of the hardest metals. And the only thing that could sharpen iron was something equally as hard. Guess what that would be? Iron, right? Iron is needed to sharpen iron. The rubbing of iron against iron produced a sharp edge on a sword. Swords that had rough edges and chewed out edges and blunted edges then would be smoothed out and honed to a sharp edge. In order for that to happen, there has to be friction and tension. Friction and tension is what you have in all true friendships. It's not all smooth sailing in friendships. You know that. We hit rough patches. There are hard things that need to be said here. But the wisdom of this Proverbs is that that is necessary in order to be sharpened. In fact, the, 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 the Hebrew here, the grammar is a little bit challenging here. But it says iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens the face of another. All right, so this has to do with interaction. This is face-to-face kind of stuff that's going on here, whether words are being said or things that are being said, but they're with the intent and purpose of sharpening. And that's what we do in relationships. Wise relationships, wise friendships sharpen one another. When you have wise friends in your life, they sharpen you. When you're a wise friend, you sharpen someone else. Loving correction, confrontation, truthful words, wise speech, encouragement, when you walk uh, together through adversity, all of adversity, all those things tend to, sh- tend to sharpen the other person. And we need the friction of life-giving relationships to sharpen us because we get dulled. Our edges get dulled. When we're in isolation and we don't have these kind of friendships in our life, our blade is dulled. Our life is dulled. So we need friends in our life. Because without a true friend, we remain, we remain dull and ineffective. You read Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, 9 through 12. Solomon writes there that two are better than one. There's always a gain. There's always an advantage. One is a loss. One, you remain cold. One, you don't get things done. But two are better than one. And that's not just about marriage, right? That's about relationships and friendships, and being effective in life. And in order for you and I to be effective and sharp in life, you need wise friends in your life. They'll sharpen you, and you'll sharpen them. A wise friend does not withhold good and kindness. Proverbs chapter 3, 27 through 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you. That's a a big deal there. Wise friends are attentive to the needs of their close friends. In fact, their close friends do not even need to tell them they have a need. They just, they know it. They initiate solving that problem. They don't wait for someone to just kind of work up the courage to let you know that something's happening in their life or they're going through something or they have a need. Like a wise friend anticipates that. And they don't wait for their friends to bring something up. So they're ready with kind words and kind deeds. And, and, and they don't withhold anything good that their friend needs. A true friendship is not tit for tat. 
It's not, I'm going to do good to them when they do good to me first. Then I'll do good to them in return. That's not a friendship. That doesn't make for a good marriage. Boy, do we know, again, marriage is like that. Oh, I'm going to, you know, when they do, then I'll do. No, 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 no. A wise friend does not withhold good. Do not withhold good when it's in your power to do it. Wise friends also don't let their friends suffer to teach them a lesson. Well, I'm just going to let them go through that and struggle through that for a bit because they need to learn. Wise friend doesn't do that. Now, again, wisdom dictates that we understand the situation and can read this thing properly. But when we do, and these are close friends, we don't let them waffle and, and struggle and twist at the end of a rope. We don't withhold good and kindness from them. We act, we initiate, we engage without them having to ask for it. Moving on, a wise friend is sympathetic. Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Now stick with me here for a moment, all right? Because you're like, how does that have to do with friends? It's talking about a neighbor here. But this verse is an application of another wisdom principle. And that wisdom is saying the right thing at the right time as fits the occasion, right? There's a right moment to do or say something that is the right thing at the right time, right? That's wisdom. That's wisdom here. But here, we're looking at a situation where we have a person who's not a morning person, who here's not a morning person. That's a lot of you, man. But you can identify with this. If you're not a morning person, and there's someone in your proximity who's just loud and cheerful and chipper, and they're singing, that's like nails on a chalkboard, isn't it? To you. Like, I haven't even had my morning coffee yet. Shut up! <laughs> you just want to throw something at them, right? That's kind of the, the implication here, right? The neighbor who's just making a loud, boisterous noise with the intention of blessing. It's not even a malicious act, but it's not received right because the person is just not in the right frame of mind or mood for it, right? So here's how we apply this to friendship. That this principle is that we are to take other people's moods into consideration. We're to be sympathetic to where a person is at a given moment. And if they're close friends of ours, like we learn to read that. Wisdom helps us read people. That's how we grow in insight and knowledge. Like we can understand where someone's at and we can respond appropriately. We can speak appropriately. We can act appropriately. We might even know we need to just be quiet and remain silent. There are things we don't need to say all the time. A wise friend knows how to read their friends, and they have an apt and fitting word at the right moment. Now, we all need to grow in this wisdom skill, okay, of doing that. It would save us a lot of headaches and heartaches in friendships and relationships. The more and the closer you are with someone and get to know them, you'll, you'll understand their moods and their temperament, right, at different moments, And you know how you ought to act and how you ought to speak in a given moment. So they're not a morning person. That's not the time to call them with a happy song, right? Right? You need to let them be, right? You ever see that coffee cup that tells you when you just speak? And and, and the level when to speak is when it's at the bottom, all right? Let them have their coffee. Just so you know, only wise people are early morning people. Ah, Yeah. All right, let's move on here. Uh, we have just a, a few more of these. A wise friend isn't a drain on a friendship. A wise friend isn't a drain on a friendship. Proverbs twenty-five seventeen. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Ouch. <laughs> Lots of amens there. There are some people who just can't take a hint. Right? It can't take a hint, and they may end up overstaying their welcome here. And wisdom teaches us if that you're always popping over into someone's house, right? And you're staying into the wee hours of the night, and their kids are yawning, and, you know, it's time to put them to bed, and your hosts are tired, but you just continue hanging out there. Um, you might not have those friends much longer, right? But let's apply this to friendships just in, in general here, you know, because the aspect of this is, is recognizing here that you need to esteem your friends more than yourself, right? 
This is about the other individual. And this is the things that love dictates and mandates of us. If we want to be wise friends. So I want to just apply this as, as don't be emotionally draining on your friends. There's some of us that maybe have friends and all we do is dump on them. We take all of our emotional baggage and we just always want to. That's like all that's talked about, right? The other, your friend doesn't ever get a word in, you know. You just got to let them know all your problems, what you're going through. And it's just, a, just an emotional dump every time. Now, you may have some really great friends and they just stick with you through all of that. And that's good. Praise God for that. But you, in wisdom, should not be doing that. If you value friendships, you recognize that you cannot just be continually withdrawing from the relationship and never depositing into it. And so if you're emotionally draining in relationships because all you do is talk about your problems, talk about how bad it is, talk about what you're going through, right? And you don't even consider the other person here. That's kind of how I'm trying to apply this here to us. If all you do is take from the relationship and you don't pour back into it, you're going to soon find that a close friend will become a distant friend. We've all had people like that in our life, and we love them, so we hang on a long time with that. But it sucks the ever-living life out of you. A true friendship, right, is, is bi-directional, right? It's two ways. And there are moments when someone is down where you need to be that for them. You know, but if someone, all they want out of a friendship is an emotional support animal... That's not a wise friendship. You know what I'm talking about. Everybody's got their therapy dog now. And some people want their friends to be that for them. You're going to drain your friends emotionally, and they're not going to want to be around you. And that's just general wisdom. Again, everyone has a different tolerance level for that. Some don't have much of any tolerance for that. And to that I say, no, you, you need to have some. And then some have too much, and then it just gets to the point where they're just they're done with that friendship and they write them off. We don't want to get to that point, right? Uh, so in wisdom, we need to lovingly confront those who are like that and talk to them about that. But you, in wanting to be a wise friend, should recognize that maybe that tendency in yourself and not be an emotional drain to your friends. If you need further explanation on that later, I'd be happy to give that. Moving on. A wise friend avoids what can spoil a relationship. Proverbs 17, 18. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who give pledges, who put up security for debts. Now, this is the ancient principle of what it would look like to, to borrow, right? If there was a need, something was put up in pledge as, in, as security to secure whatever that was, right? If someone needed food, they might put up their bed as kind of collateral in repayment of that, of that what they were borrowing and loan. But the principle of Proverbs continually is that the borrower is slave to the lender. And you yourself should not engage in the business, really, of lending. Where we are exhorted to be generous people, but not to be people who loan and expect something in return, especially with interest, right? There is nothing that separates friends faster than money, (laughs) loaning money to a friend and expecting them to pay it back, and they don't. I have seen many of friendships ruined because of that. You might have experienced that in your own life. There was an expectation of, I'm going to try to help them out. They have a need, and it's a loan, and it's going to go bad. So wisdom says, don't even do it. Help them find other ways. In fact, if you really are moved to help them in a need, don't lend to them. Just give. Just give with no expectation in return. Let, let generosity be what you do to help a friend out. But if it's, I'm expecting a return from them on it, <clears throat> it's going to go bad. And it's going to sour the relationship and the friendship. And wisdom says don't even engage with that. And the last one of these, a wise friend is gracious with their speech. Proverbs twenty-two eleven: He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Think about that. Who wouldn't want the king as his friend, right? And it says here that what? The person who's pure of heart, that's the righteous. And speaking of the righteous, with gracious speech, even the king wants to have this individual as their friend. Well, the wise friend has wise words on their lips because of a pure heart. And we know what Proverbs teaches. And out of the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaks. 
right? What flows from our lips is what's in our heart. Out of the overflow of our heart is, is what comes out of our mouth. And if wisdom is what we've treasured and hidden down in our heart, that's what we speak. And wise friends use gracious speech. Their words edify and build up. They use their words judiciously. They season their words with grace. There is a word in season continually on their lips that builds people up. That's what a wise friend does. Now, there's three types here that I'm just going to give you quickly that wisdom teaches us of certain people to avoid. All right? Certain people to avoid. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Right? So, dishonest people, liars, gossipers, slanderers, like, stay away from those. They're not going to make good friends. All right? And if you have those friends in your life, you know they're not good friends. They don't, they don't add value in the relationship at all. Proverbs 22, 24 through 25. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. People who are easily offended, easily angered, short temper, right? They have that short fuse. Like they're always on that hair trigger and you say just something well-intentioned and it just sets them off. These, those do not make for good friends. You have people in your life that you have to walk on eggshells around? Those aren't good friends, right? Those are difficult relationships. Because you know you're going to say the wrong thing. You never know. You don't know how to act. You don't know what to say because you don't know how they're going to go off on you. Okay? Those are people that do not make wise friends. All right. Now, don't read too much into this next one. Proverbs 25, 24. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. All right. Well, I'm just going to focus on quarrelsome, okay? <laughs> I, I, I'm not advocating that you avoid your wife or leave your wife, okay? But a quarrelsome person brings a lot of strife to a relationship, don't they? A contentious person that's just constantly just going on the attack, wanting an, an argument, right? These are not wise friends. They're not good friends. They don't, they don't bless, right? They, they're a hindrance. So we should avoid those kind of relationships. Now, we could best sum up all of these principles for how to be a wise friend with the ethical principle Jesus gave to his disciples that we call the golden rule, right? Luke 6, 31, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. You want to have wise friends, be a wise friend. And you'll see that you will attract those kind of people in your life. When you, when you strive and you seek to be this kind of wise friend to others, you're going to see who comes into your circle. They're going to be people who love wisdom, who fear the Lord. And, and that is a blessed relationship to have. Friendships are not easy. They're not. They're difficult. They're challenging. They're messy. They, they can go wrong a lot of ways. Many of them go sideways, right? But they're worth pursuing. They're absolutely worth pursuing. And it's hard. It's hard in, in any arena of life, whether in school or at work or uh, folks you do life with outside in hobbies and sports or clubs and, and especially in the household of God. It's, it's difficult to initiate relationships to try to steer them towards uh, close friendships in life. But they must be pursued. And they must be pursued especially among the household of faith, among the brethren of your church. If we want wise friends who fear the Lord, we're not going to find them in the world. You're not going to find them outside of the community of faith. I'm not saying you're not going to find Christians outside of the community of faith. In general, in the world, you're not going to find these kinds of friends James, the apostle of the Lord, warns us that friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. Now, that does not mean that we're not to have friends who are unbelievers. It's not what that means at all. Of course we are supposed to. I mean, we're to be good neighbors to everyone. We're to, we're to engage people in the course of our life, and some of those may become very good friends to us in life. But they're not going to be the kind of wise friends that Proverbs is going to advocate for here and that we see the perfect fulfillment fulfillment of in Christ Jesus because if we surround if all we surround ourselves with are people who do not fear the Lord who do not follow Christ 
that is going to influence us negatively. I mean, Paul even warns the Corinthians and reminds them, 1 Corinthians 15, bad company ruins good morals. Show me who your friends are, and I'll tell you who you are. That's the principle there, right? Our strongest friendships are going to be those centered on our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the superglue to all wise friendships. He's what binds together true, wise, godly relationships. We need people who can encourage us in our walk with the Lord. We need people who can stir us up to love and good deeds, as the writer of Hebrews encourages us to. We need people who can pray for us. What worldly friend is going to do that for you? We need people who can give us good, godly, biblical counsel from God's word. Not worldly wisdom, but wisdom from above. Spiritual wisdom that can edify our spirit and our soul. We're not going to find that outside of the Christian community and faith. We need people who share our biblical worldview. These are the eternal relationships that you and I must cultivate. We need gospel-shaped friendships. Things centered around Christ, centered around the good news. It's in this context of a life-giving fellowship of believers that all of the one another's in the New Testament are to be exercised. Right? That's where they happen. That's not for outside of the church. That's for inside the church. When we one another one another, we strengthen gospel-shaped relationships. That happens in here. And we can begin cultivating gospel-shaped friendships by living out of the grace of God. I'm just going to give you a few principles in closing here. Don't place unrealistic expectations and burdens on a friendship. Your friend, no matter how close they are to you, cannot be Jesus for you. They cannot do for you what only Jesus can do. Don't make an idol out of a friendship. Don't be overly dependent on a friendship for something that only you can find fulfillment in Christ. The gospel reveals to us that we're all sinners. So we're sinners who are friends with sinners. Just like when we're married. We're sinners married to other sinners. Guess what that means? We will sin against one another at some point. We will wound one another. We will hurt one another. We will let each other down at some point. That other person is going to fail us. How are we going to respond to that? How do we react to those things? If we're living out of the grace of God, we're going to walk in grace in our friendships. That means we're going to be quick to forgive and extend grace. When they repent and ask forgiveness, we're not going to say, well, let me think about it. Or hold on to that for a while. No, what do we do? We forgive. And then we walk in grace with them and we reflect that to them. And when we do that, our relationships are reinforced and deepens. Living out of the grace of God also means that we are freed from having to perform for others in order to maintain a relationship. If you think you have to perform a song and dance show every time in order to keep a, a relationship or a friendship, that is not right, good, or healthy. Just like grace tells me I don't have to perform for God in order for Him to love me and accept me, you should not have to perform for your friend in order for them to love and accept you. Does that make sense? And that's super important. These are not good relationships when that's what we have to do. Living out of grace also means then that I don't have to walk on eggshells in order for someone to like me and be their friend. I don't need that. I'm freed from that in Christ Jesus. So I don't have to perform and I don't have to be made to feel a certain way. Okay? And, and that's important that, that our relationships are grace-based and gospel-based like this. We also cultivate gospel-shaped friendships by building up one another in Christ. Again, this principle that we talked about, we deposit more than we withdraw. The Scripture continually exhorts us to build one another up, to edify one another up. Again, if you're in this season of life where you are down, that's not a problem. You should be able to depend on your brothers and sisters to lift you up and build you up. Okay? Don't, 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 don't misunderstand when I was talking about being emotionally drained. That's just a continual state of existence, right? 
But we should be, when one is weak, the other is strong. When the other one's strong and this one's weak, right? We mutually build and strengthen one another up. And when we do that and we seek out these kind of friendships that are mutually edifying, we become knitted together in love. I am the closest to the people who not just know me the best, but also I know when I'm not feeling it, they are. And they encourage me and they build me up and they strengthen me with their words and with their actions. We cultivate gospel-shaped relationships by, again, speaking the truth in love. You want to, again, have wise friends amongst believers here? Because we're people of the truth, we will always speak the truth to one another. In love, in humility, in grace, in kindness. But we are speaking the truth nonetheless. We do not have close relationships if we cannot be truthful with one another. And if you get offended when a brother who loves you comes to you in humility to tell you the truth, then, then you're the one with the problem, not them. Okay? We can't have authentic, wise friendships without loving confrontation and correction. That's just part of the deal, brothers and sisters. And if we long for these kind of relationships, you've got to be open to that. And you've got to also do it. We cultivate gospel-shaped friendships by being a gospel-shaped friend. That means we understand that our relationships are sacrificial. They will require an investment of our life. They will require an investment of our heart. We are giving ourselves to someone else. Means being there for others when they need us, not when it's convenient for us. That's an important principle. There's too many in the church, and I'm just going to speak for the church, who face loneliness and isolation, who long for deep, meaningful, wise relationships and friendships. For men in the church, it's extremely hard. It's, in, it's hard in general, but for men in the church, it's hard to have deep relationships because conversations are superficial. They're just on the surface. They're about trivial things. We're really good talking about movies and sports and superheroes, you know, uh, TV shows, you know, racing, just superficial weather. Oh, the weather's, man. We're really good with the weather. <laughs> we keep it right there, you know, really surface, right? We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to expose, you know, what's down deep in our heart. Now, I'm grateful for the men of this church. You know, when we gathered in our men's meetings, I love that some brothers just are free to, to share because they, they know they're in a, a trusted place, you know, with men who love them and care for them. But in general, it's hard for guys to have these kind of deep, meaningful, wise relationships, and we need them. Women, they want deep relationships, but they also have a hard time finding them. Right? Because women, for the most part, want to be vulnerable. And, 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 and they want to express what's going on deep down. They love talking about their emotions. Problem is, there are other ladies who kind of really betray those things. They gossip. They create drama around those kind of things. You know, and it becomes very difficult to have deep and meaningful relationships. Well, we, we want to be a church of deep, meaningful, and wise relationships where men are friends with men and women are friends with other women in this place. We see a Titus 2 uh, kind of experience that should be part of every church, right, where, where young men respect the older men. The older men are, are training and discipling the young men and the older women are teaching the younger women and the younger women are learning and respecting from the, the older women. And there's this beautiful relationship, intergenerational relationship happening and friendships that, that, that are being fostered and cultivated in the church. And that's healthy and good. We should all long for that. We should all want that. We should all work and strive towards that. And if you're in, 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 in here today and you're saying, man, I, I need to have wise friends in my life, pray for that. But don't just pray, take action. Because if we sit back and we wait for others to become our friends... That's hard for those of us, you know, that are not extroverted and not like to, you know, put ourselves out there. That's not me. I always had a challenge, you know, forming close friendships in life because of that. You know, I just, you know, I just, I was just waiting, you know, I'd wait. And so friendships and relationships were largely superficial as a result of that. 
But we should long for desire in them. But, but we need to, in Christ, then begin to take action and, and say, how do I engage brothers and sisters in the Lord here to begin to cultivate these gospel-shaped relationships? And one of the most underutilized tools in cultivating these kind of relationships, new relationships, is hospitality, brothers and sisters. Hospitality, just basic, good old hospitality. Guess what? Why don't you invite someone over for dinner to your house? Get to know them. Take them out to lunch. Treat them. Don't just say, yeah, let's go to lunch, but you pay for yourself. No, you pay for them, you know. <laughs> Initiate. Put yourself out there. Invite someone to go with you to an event. Right? Connect within the deeper life of our church. Be part of our city groups, right? Begin to cultivate relationships there. Encourage someone. Take that initiative. Text them. Reach out to them. Have a kind word for them throughout the week. Let people know you're praying for them. You begin to put yourself out there again, adding value to others. People go, that's, that's someone I want to, they're enriching me. I want to get to know that person. I love being around people who do that for me. You love being around people who would do that for you. So be that person to someone else. Lastly, in closing, this is the real closing. If you want wise friends, and you want to be a wise friend, meditate on Christ's friendship with you. Again, in Christ we find the supreme example of true wise friendship. When we look at the qualities of a wise friend, we find each of these things perfectly exemplified by our Lord. He's a friend that loves at all time. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is always faithful. He is always truthful. He covered all of our offenses. He is the sum of all wisdom. So guess what? His counsel is going to be perfect and good. He preserves our relationship with Him. He enriches us in every way. He sharpens us through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. He does not withhold any good or kindness from us. He knows and understands us like no one else does. And he is gracious in every way. That's our wise friend, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. And our look to him and his perfect example of friendship and how he has called us to be his friends is the model that you and I walk out in order to have wise friendships with others.